You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. And so we've looked at three different parts of Scripture. One being Isaiah chapter 7, the promise of this coming Christ who would be God with us. We looked at the birth of Jesus just a couple of weeks ago. Um, We looked at it from Matthew chapter 1. If you uh, normally read from Luke chapter 2, you'll read the same story. But Matthew 1 tells that he is the Emmanuel, the one who actually is the substance of Isaiah's prophecy. And then we looked at the invitation last week, John chapter 1, that Jesus' coming is not just something that we're to look at, to behold, something to celebrate, or something to remember. But it is an invitation that we must respond to. And John says that we must be born again as he recounts the words of Jesus. You and I must receive Jesus by faith. That is the invitation of the gospel. It's not just something to know in our minds, but something to ultimately receive into our hearts and obey with our lives. And so all of those things are Christmas past. And we commemorate them now. But the promise, God with us, is not a promise that is of Christmas past. It is not a decision that we make about an event that happened 2,000 years ago alone. The promise, God with us, is a continual relationship with God in the very present. Something that we experience in our lives every single day. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room this morning, you know that it's not just something you celebrate in history, but you get to experience God every single day of your life. Certainly there are times when that comes and goes as far as the feeling of the the experience or the relationship. But at the end of the day, the promise of God with us is a very special promise because it is a promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. It's not something that just was promised to people years ago. but We experience the outworking of God's promise all the way through eternity. God is with you now if you're a follower of Jesus. Amen. God is with you now. He's with us. So the way that we experience that is told of in John chapter 16. It is the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit. The one that was promised by Christ when He left the earth. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And so if you found your place there in John 16, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. John 16, beginning in verse 5. The Bible says, but now, this is the words of Jesus, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. Lord, I pray this morning that You would help us as we look to Your Word to believe and embrace the things that we see here. I pray that not only would we believe, but that our lives would be changed because we would understand the reality that you are with us even here right now in this very moment. Lord, we pray every week that your Holy Spirit would come, would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word, would help us where we are weak and where we are prone to wander. Lord, we read about this one, the Holy Spirit of promise. I pray that today He would be real and alive in this place. Lord, that we would honor You with our lives in the way that we obey You as a result of what we hear. God, there may be one here this morning who believes in an event that took place years ago. And God may even celebrate it twice a year. Lord, they've never come into a personal relationship with You. They've never been born again. They might be able to believe that Jesus is the Emmanuel. But they don't know the presence of God in their lives. And so I pray that today you would make it real and alive. If there's a believer that is struggling in this place, God, would you remind them that you are with them and that you are their helper? And Lord, I pray that you would be exalted as we uh, as we obey your word together in Jesus name. Amen. Well, thank you. You can be seated. This is, of course, uh, part of the same conversation as John chapter 14, when the disciples hearing from Jesus that he was about to go to his death and he would depart from them. And they were ready, as you know, to take up arms against any of those that would come against Jesus. They loved him so much. This is a part of that same conversation to bring comfort to his disciples as they were thinking about Jesus' death. And so Jesus, in in bringing them comfort, gives them a promise. Not only that He would go and prepare a place for them and come and receive them again to Himself, but that in the meantime, they would have a helper. Notice it there at the beginning of our text this morning. But now I go away to Him who sent me. That is the Father. And none of you ask me where you are going. Of course, they did ask the question. What Jesus is saying is, That's not what you meant. You're not curious about where I'm going. Ultimately, you're just sad that I am going. You're sad that I'm going to be 
gone. That's what he says in verse six. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And I want to just tell you that with the presence of Jesus, not physically on this earth, the world is filled with many sorrows. When the angels promised that there would be glad tidings of great joy to all people. That was a promise that, yes, was true at the birth of a son and at the life of a savior and at the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God and the resurrection of a risen king. All of that was true. But in the meantime, there are there are joyless days and sorrowful days and days filled with trouble on this earth. If you are not experiencing those days, have not experienced those days in your life, then you are asleep or living on a, in a, in, with your head in the clouds. We all know that it's true. And so he says there's going to be sorrow. Nevertheless, in the midst of all the sorrow, he gives the promise. It's to your advantage or it's for your good that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Jesus, remember, is going away to do two things. Primarily, John 14 tells us one of them. He's going to intercede or or he's going to to prepare a place for his people. He's going to prepare a place that we might be with him forever. So that's the first thing. The second thing is he's interceding for us. He's being an advocate. You and I as sinners separated from God need someone to plead our case who is not a sinner. And Jesus is doing that. But in the meantime, you and I, as Jesus is interceding for us, there is some hole in our lives which we experience discomfort, pain, sorrow, trouble every day, and we cannot make it on our own. You hear me? We cannot ultimately survive this world. So the advocate that we have before the throne is, is, is helpful and, and it is saving. But at the end of the day, we would still be at a loss were it not for Jesus to have sent someone else to do a second job, and that is a helper. He is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not even mentioned in these ten verses. So where do we find that, that promise? Go back to the end of chapter 15 and verse 26, and you'll see it. Jesus has already mentioned this one. Verse 26, he says, But when the Helper comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. The Spirit of truth. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who comes to be the Helper. If you're not convinced, go back one more chapter to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 16. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper that He may abide with you forever. Who is it? The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you, and listen to this, will be in you. Not only is this promise made to us again that God is going to be with us, but that God will in fact be in us, not by nature, but by adoption through God's Spirit, by new birth, John chapter 3. The Spirit of God will take up residence in our lives and in our hearts. Paul goes on to call the body the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is not only with us, He's in us. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. You experience the indwelling presence of God as a believer every single day. So don't miss the truth that John is teaching us. 
The Holy Spirit is the indwelling presence of God in all believers. The Holy Spirit is the indwelling presence of God in all believers. You have Christ with you. Is that not good news? That God is in you and God is ultimately, as Paul would say, for you. That He is fighting on your behalf and that He is doing a work in your heart and in your life. Not only that, but He is the seal. Paul goes on to describe Ephesians 1 verse 13, that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so what that means is that He is the sealed presence of God with us and in us. No one can take God from you. And no one can take you from God. When you are born again, He is in you and that is sealed for eternity. The Holy Spirit of promise. This is good news for the believer. And so, this Spirit of promise is often a mysterious thing. It's a promise that's true for all believers that He has indwelt us and yet we sometimes don't know how to put that into words. Romans 8 says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So all believers are led by God's Spirit. Ephesians 3 tells us to be filled with God's Spirit. Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the works of the flesh. You see, we are to live a life that is Spirit-filled, Spirit-led. We are adopted by God's Spirit. We're children of God. But this is not something that is of some emotional kind of experience. Certainly it gives rise to emotions. But normally when we describe our experience, and you all tell me if I'm wrong, normally when we describe our experience with the Holy Spirit, we have one of two reactions. We don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit because that's kind of crazy stuff and people jump in pews and all that other stuff. We don't, we don't want to have anything to do with that. Or on the other side, and we feel God's Spirit. And that's often the way that we describe it. And yet that's a part of the biblical narrative, but it is not the bulk of the biblical narrative. How is it that we know that we have God's Spirit it produces a love for Christ and His Word. Do you have a love for Jesus? I mean, a genuine, pure love, worship of Jesus Christ. If you pour out your heart and your life to Him and you love His Word, like you're in this book and you just seemingly can't get enough of it and it's just your life bread, that's not the work of the flesh in you. That's the work of the Spirit in you. Maybe you're growing in fellowship with the church. The Bible describes fellowship with God's Spirit as koinonia. So when the Helper comes, there is a fellowship that happens between God's people. Fellowship in God's Spirit. Ephesians 4 also goes on to explain that our unity is based in God's Spirit and His Spirit alone. Maybe you're growing in the character of Christ. You find yourself... Having, having traits in your life that evidence love. There's love for, for God, for others. Joy. Real joy. Not joy that's based on your circumstances or some kind of emotional experience, but a deep, unshakable joy because of who God is. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against which there is no law. There's nothing that can legislate those things out of your life. 
Because God's Spirit is, is giving birth, giving rise to those things in you. The character of Christ. You find yourself being more like Jesus. Or you find yourself growing more empowered for service. When you do things for God, it seems that they become effective, not by your own doing, but by some power of the living God. You see, that's what it looks like for the Spirit of God to be at work in your life. And this is why we must be born again. So I would just ask you, as you look at your life, Jesus making you the promise that a helper is going to come and he will be with you and in you. Is that the testimony of your life? That God is in fact with you and in you and doing in you what could never be done by the power of the flesh. This also means that God is with us at every single moment if we're followers of Christ. Every single moment. When your eyes opened this morning and you began to have thoughts of the day, God was with you. When you laid your head down on your pillow last night and you drifted off to sleep through all of the anxieties of the day and the season and everything else that may be on your heart and your mind. God was with you and in you. When you slept last night, though you had no consciousness of your own, if nothing else, dreams, God was with you. No matter where you choose to make your bed or your pillow, God is with you. At every moment of the day, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you spend time with grandchildren, when you spend time with those you care for, when you do the things that that are a part of your day, God is with you and in you for every thought that you have. God sees it, knows it. For every word that you say, God hears it and knows it. And is with you for every action that you take, every choice that you make. God knows the choice intimately. There is nothing, even your thought processes in doing it, that is hidden from the Lord. Because, believer, He is with you and He's in you. He knows your heart. Through every trial. The hardest moments of your life, the moments where you don't know if you can make it through it. God is with you. And He's for you. Through every victory, those moments where we tend to dwell on the victory itself and forget that it's God who brought it to us. God is with you. In every moment of temptation to quit, to make a choice that is dishonoring to God, to give way to the the cravings, the desires, the lust of the flesh. At every moment, God is with you. And the Bible declares Him to be faithful in those moments. Providing a way out. You see, this is what it means to walk with God. As Abraham walked with God. That He is always with us and that we are constantly aware of His presence in our lives. So have you been born again? Well, Jesus goes on to teach not only that the Spirit would be with us, That the Helper was going to come. But to actually teach what the Helper would do. What the Holy Spirit of promise would be doing in our lives. So, the question is often asked in the world around us. Where was God? Anybody ever heard that question? 
Nobody? Where was God whenever the trade towers were attacked? Where was God whenever the hurricane came? Why didn't he stop it? Where was God when I lost my loved one? Where was God when I got cancer? Where was God when my children were running awry? Where was God? You tell me that, Pastor. Jesus tells us right where he was and what he was doing in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, this is not true if you're not a follower of Jesus. If you don't know Christ this morning, you've never been born again. God's presence is not in your life in these ways. However, for the believer, there are five ways in which God's presence is acting right now, every day for you. And this is the great news about Christmas. Number one, he comforts believers. The Holy Spirit comforts believers doesn't say that he's going to take the circumstances away. He never tells the disciples that. In fact, he promises just the opposite, doesn't he? In this world, you'll have many troubles. Instead, he says what he's going to do to sustain them in the midst of their troubles. And he's going to comfort them. Notice he uses the word helper. And he uses it multiple times. The three verses we've already read. And then, of course, verse number five in our text this morning. But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me where I'm going. Your heart is filled with sorrow. Verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth It is your advantage. I go away for I do not go for if I do not go away. The helper will not come to you. You won't have the help of the Holy Spirit if I don't go away. It's a requirement that he goes and he advocates before the father for you and he would leave the helper. So what does it mean for him to be a helper? The word is literally counselor. The Greek is paraclete. You may have heard that term used before to describe the Holy Spirit. It is the primary word that identifies the Holy Spirit in the Greek New Testament. It is translated counselor or maybe to call alongside or to encourage. The Holy Spirit is our encourager or to exhort. He exhorts us. Encourages us, spurs us on, says that this is worth fighting for and you can keep going in my power. Constant source of encouragement. Would you say the world around you is a constant source of encouragement? Nowhere close. The opposite. And if you get focused on all the things that are below. All the things on the earth. You're chasing after the things of this world. I can promise you this, that your life will always be found in discouragement. When you set your mind on things that are above. When you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, remind you of God's truth. He will lift you up out of the mire and set you upon the rock. And He will encourage your heart and lift your countenance such that you no longer have a down countenance, but your hope is in God. That's what it means to walk with God. You say, I don't see any difference in the lives of Christians. They're facing troubles every single day. Why should I do that? You're right. There is no difference. That's exactly why you should do that. Because the one who doesn't follow Jesus has no help and no counselor and no encouragement. The one who follows Jesus has encouragement. Their lives don't change. But the one who follows Christ can survive, can stand. We sing a song that says the words, my anchor holds within the veil. 
We know that no matter what comes our way, our comfort, our help comes from the Lord. That's why we lift our eyes to Him. The Word does have legal overtones. If you think about counsel in terms of legal counsel, the one who advocates on behalf of us. But while Jesus is being the advocate, He is advocating for us. The Holy Spirit is the one who is doing the strengthening side of that Word. Isn't that interesting? That the Holy Spirit... God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father are all acting for us in harmony for the sake of our salvation at the very same time. God has seen fit to leave us a comforter who comforts believers. Secondly, He convicts the world. He convicts the world. Verse 8, you'll find the Word. And when He has come, He will convict the world. The word convict literally means to expose and subsequently to convince or to persuade. To cause someone to see something and to believe it to be true. In other words, if I as a as a man were to argue a point with you, maybe that point is that um, Alabama really doesn't deserve to be in the national championship. Um, so anyway, uh, that's getting me in trouble. But anyway, let's say that's my point, right? And I'm trying to argue that with you. I'm trying to persuade you of that. Most of the people in the room, that are, especially Alabama fans, are not going to persuade that that's true, right? <laughs> Preach on. But uh, anyway... But my God, the truth hurts. I'm going to start a war in here. Anyway, but the goal is, the goal is for me, something I believe, for me to convince you that it's true such that you embrace it in your life. To convict you. You might also think of the word again in legal terms. When someone is convicted, they're tried of a crime and they have been found guilty. They have, the jury has been fully persuaded, or the judge has been fully persuaded that they are guilty of the crime. So what the Spirit is doing in our lives is He is convicting us of something to be true. Something that we have ultimately rejected. Remember John 1? He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. We've ultimately rejected the truth of God. So what the Spirit does is convicts us of those things. And not just us, but the whole world. That is not to say that, he, that we all respond to His conviction, but He convicts the world. It is to expose or to convince. To cause them to feel the weight of or to know or understand. Even to know the implications of, to persuade, to change the heart and the mind. It's what the Spirit of God is doing. And He's doing it in three ways, over three different areas of our lives. One of those is of sin. He convicts the world of sin. It says that of sin because, this is verse 9, they do not believe in Me. There is something about faith that produces righteousness. And faith itself, the lack thereof rather, is the greatest sin of humanity. 
That is the rejection of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The Spirit convicts our hearts of sin. And there is not a single person in this room that is sinless. All of us have sinned against a holy God. Every one of us, by nature and by choice, dwell in the wrath of God. The wrath of God is stored up against us such that one day all of God's wrath and all of God's holy hatred will be poured out against us because of our sin against Him. It's a bad position to be in. Means that you and I will spend, if it were not for Christ, you and I would spend an eternity in a place called hell. Now for the believer, the Spirit reminds us of how hell-deserving our sin really is. It really is a dangerous and even frightening reality when believers experience little to no conviction over sin in their lives. Little to no conviction over sin in their lives. You're a follower of Jesus. You know exactly what is right and wrong because the Spirit of God has already given those things to you. It's in His Word. When we use language that dishonors the Lord. When we make sexual choices that dishonor the Lord. When pride rises up in us. When we don't obey Christ in the way the Scripture... All the, all the things that you could just go on and make a list. First Corinthians makes a whole list of them. Things that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know when you're living in sin. Hear me. Why? Because the Spirit of God convicts you of it. If you're a follower of Jesus, that in itself is good news. Because the believer cannot go on sinning without intense conviction and ultimately leading to persuasion and obedience. So what's in your life that the Spirit of God is convicting you of? may not be non-belief in Christ, but have you responded in obedience to Him? The Bible makes very clear if we continue to turn a deaf ear to, to Christ... We've got to really question whether we know Him at all. So do you know Christ? Have you repented from the sin of your life and trusted Him? I'm not saying that you're perfect, but I'm saying that the Spirit of God upon every sinful choice and every sinful thought in our lives convicts us of that sin and leads us into righteousness. Secondly, so He convicts the world of sin and convicts the world of righteousness. And I praise God for this. This is the other side of the coin. Because not only does the Spirit of God help us to know and feel and believe and embrace what, uh, not embrace what is, what is wrong, He helps us know and feel and see and embrace what is right. He strengthens us and empowers us for righteous living. Convicts us of what those things are. This is why anytime a believer says, I'm not sure what the will of God is for my life. My first question to them is, look at Scripture. What is God's revealed will to you? Are you obeying Him in those areas? And secondly, I have no fear for you. Because the Spirit of God that is in you will lead you in righteousness. You keep praying, you keep trusting, you keep waiting, but He will convict your heart of what is true and what is right. 
And if the Spirit is in you, then it will produce fruit, obedience, fruit of righteousness. Third, he convicts the world of judgment. You say, well, what's the big deal about making a few mistakes? What's the big deal about not obeying God in this particular area? Sin or righteousness. Here's the big deal. Because every single one of us will stand before God and give an account for our lives. Judgment's coming. He said, judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Is judged. Well, who's the ruler of the world? Satan, prince of the power of the air, right? Satan is the ruler of the world. But all of those who are following after the ways of the world, guess who you're following? And guess who's already judged with him? We are. You see, the way that he presents it is not that you will be judged. He presents it that you are judged. Notice it. Of righteousness, I go to my father and you see me no more, so he can't teach them. Of judgment, because the ruler of, the world, of this world is judged. It's already judged. John 3, Jesus said, if you've not believed in the Son of God, you're condemned already. You're headed toward an eternal verdict of guilty. This is why it matters. So when the Spirit of God convicts us of sin and righteousness, we must respond. And we're coming to how we respond here in a moment. Number three, he clarifies the truth. He clarifies the truth. Quickly notice in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Guide you into all truth. The Word of God is truth. The Spirit of God clarifies what is not clear to us. Because we are still sinners, there are things in our lives that are not yet clear. We don't completely understand His teaching. And yet, the Spirit of God is our teacher. Listen, you do not need, although God has chosen, you do not need philosophically a pastor or a priest to explain the Word of God to you. The Spirit is our teacher. But God has chosen... Pastors to proclaim that truth to the church, to help explain that truth. And the Spirit of God is doing the work of opening your eyes and your heart to understand. Second Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2 says that He is our teacher. That He even searches, searches out the deep things of God. And so we know because the Spirit teaches us. Number four, He calls to Christ. And here is the response. Verse 14 He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. He's declaring the things that are Christ's to you. It's not the things of the Spirit. He's not going to glorify himself. We're not going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus. Because the Spirit is drawing people to Jesus. That's his role. He calls people to Christ. Why? Because it is through Christ that we come to the Father. He's already said that in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Spirit draws us to Christ. You see, whenever we're convicted of sin and the righteousness that God has, then we realize, and judgment, then we realize we have no hope of doing any of those things were it not for Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so the Spirit calls us to Christ. You and I, because of our sin, we need forgiveness. And God offers it. Amen? God forgives our sin in Christ. We must come to Him. And we don't just come to Him in any way. We come to Him by faith. We come to Him believing that He is. And that He will save those who come and trust Him. 
Those who turn from sin and trust Him and embrace His righteousness. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and was raised to life. We believe that. Confess it with our lives. Submit our lives to His Lordship. His leadership. He's our Master. The Bible says that we're saved. So when the Spirit... Listen to me carefully this morning. When the Spirit is drawing you to come to Christ, listen to Him, please. When the Spirit says, come and be born again, come and surrender your life to Christ and God will make you born again. Don't turn a deaf ear to those things because the Spirit does not strive with us forever, the Word says. That call is not an eternal call. It is a temporal call and we must respond when we hear it. Turn and trust Christ for salvation. And then number five. He compels the witness. He compels the witness. Notice there at the end of verse or chapter 15 that there is a part that's kind of added on that may or may not seem to fit. And what it's doing is it's carrying in this idea at the end of our, our verses this morning. The idea that the Spirit is going to declare Christ. He's going to be a witness to Christ. Verse 26 says the same thing at the end of chapter 15, verse 26. He will testify of me. And verse 27, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Spirit compels witness. He compels both the the motives of the heart and he compels the actual witness of our words. The Spirit is the one who gives power to the individual who's followed Jesus, to the believer, to be a faithful witness, to tell of Jesus. When the Spirit's in you, the Spirit wants to tell of Christ. You know what that means? That means you tell of Christ. And then when you tell, the witness that you give, for instance, this morning, the preaching of the Word, the message that goes forth, is then empowered by the Holy Spirit and He acts on people's hearts to receive what God has in fact said. He empowers the witness. Compels it. So Christ is doing all of these things by His Spirit. He's comforting us. He's convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Clarifying truth. And calling us to Christ and compelling our witness for Christ. This is how God is with us. So my question to you is quite simply this morning. Is God in fact with you? With every head bowed and every eye closed. You can measure your life by these things. The simple fact is we need Him. None of these things can be produced on our own. We need God to do them in our heart and in our lives. So how about you? Can you really say this morning that God is with you? Some of you this morning, you've been with the church. You've been with Sunday school. You've been with a lot of things that have happened that seem spiritual or religious. But I think if you were honest, you'd say, I I just, I don't know what it's like to really have God with me. The Spirit of God in my life. And today, I I want to trust Christ. Today, I I want that, Pastor. I I want to know God. The beauty of salvation is that He's made a way. 
But it's through Jesus. It's not any work you can do. You don't turn over a new leaf. You don't try to figure it out. You don't get no, new truth and new words. And new... No. You surrender to Jesus. And He does in you what you could never do yourself. That's the Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. Others of you this morning, you've been walking in the flesh. You've not been walking in the Spirit. And because you've been walking in the flesh, you feel distant and disconnected from the presence of God in your life. And that is a legitimate feeling. You've not lost salvation, although you ought to search your heart to see if you've ever been saved to begin with. But you've not lost your salvation. What has happened is you've driven a wedge between you and God. You're out of fellowship with Him. This morning, you need to repent of your sin. You need to make it right. You need to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and stop shutting Him out. And the good end to that is that God will forgive your sin and He will heal your life. You'll trust Him today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we stand all across the room, I'm going to pray and I invite you to respond in obedience to Christ. Lord, have Your way in this place and in our hearts. May Your Spirit move us to obedience and may we bring glory and honor to You with our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. You come as Lisa sings. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Christ.